You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. So it's giving week two. We don't have a lot of time. I want to talk about tithing this week. Because, and I want to talk about it in the Old Testament, and some principles that come from the Old Testament, and I want to talk about in the New Testament. And why isn't it mentioned in the New Testament more? Last week I told you that Jesus talks more about giving than he does heaven and hell together. But he doesn't talk about the tithe except for two times and it's negative. Why doesn't Jesus, why doesn't Paul, why doesn't the New Testament, why don't the writers of the New Testament talk about tithing? And I think for some of us, tithing is this kind of thing that we either see it as, oh my gosh, give 10% away. I have $5,000 worth of debt or $10,000 worth of debt. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I struggle to give 2% away. Really, 10%? That just seems way out there. And so what we do is, it, is we let it shut us down. And we don't learn to trust and listen to the Lord and give in a way that honors the Lord. So that's what happens with it. That's one of the things that tithe does to, to New Testament people. But the other thing that it does is some of us give 10% and it's like we're living under the law. We're living like we're in the Old Testament. And that's like we check the box and we go on accumulating the rest of our resources and all of our wealth to, to create creature comforts for us. Because we've given 10%. And if you are giving 10%, if you are tithing, you're giving more, way more than most believers. Evangelical believers. People who love and trust and serve Jesus Christ. And so... Rightfully so, we should be able to check this box, we feel like. But in the same way, you're living under the law as well. And you're being oppressed. You're not learning how to live by the Spirit. You're not learning how to follow God. And so we're going to look at, just real quickly, because we don't have a lot of time, and we have the, all the middle schoolers and high schoolers are sitting right in front of me, so I'm going to speak to you guys. There's going to be a quiz at the end of the Old Testament section. Okay? And I'm going to ask you, what are some of the principles of Old Testament tithing? I know, Shelby, something that never changes. You're always in my little youth Section, I know, you're married and have kids now. You're still part of the youth. All right, so Old Testament, just real quick. First place that tithing is mentioned in the Old Testament is with Abraham, okay? And so his boy, his kinsman, Lot, gets taken. He gets captured by this king. I can't even say the name. It's like this long name. He gets captured. What happens? Abraham goes after him. He rescues him. He pulls him back. He, he gets him. And he says, man, God, thank you so much for rescuing me as a response to what you've done in allowing me to not only rescue Lot, but get back all of my possessions from this king who took him from me, I'm going to give you 10%. And he says that. In Genesis 14, 20, simply Abraham says, and Abraham, it says, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Okay? So our first encounter in tithing is this. We don't tithe, or the tithing in the Old Testament doesn't say, they tithe and then God did this. It's God did this and they responded in gracious giving. Okay? That's, that principle is the same today. All right? We don't give so God will love. We don't give so God will move. God's moving, God's loving, God's gracious, and so we give. That's the first principle, okay? Second time we see it happen is with Jacob. Okay, Jacob is spoken to by God. It's promised, hey, you're going to have a lot of land. You're going to have a lot of descendants. It's going to be good. And what does Jacob do? He makes a vow to God. He says, God will, you know, if you do that, you show up like that in my life, I'll tell you what. And he says this, and all that thou givest me, I will give tenth to you. And so again, 
What does Jacob first recognize? All that you give me, all that I have is a gift. None of it is mine. Not, Jacob didn't earn any of it. He didn't do anything to deserve it. God just gave it to him. He says, yo, 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 I love you. I'm moving. There's power here. I'm going to give you all this goodness. And Jacob's response is, oh, then I will, as a result of your faithfulness, as a token or as a pledge or a guarantee of my thankfulness to you, I'm going to give you 10%. But does that mean that Jacob's like, but with the other nine tenths, I'm not going to honor you? No. No. It's, it's, it's a pledge. It's like a, whenever you get married, whenever, like, don't be getting married anytime soon. But when you get married, one of the things that will happen in the service is we'll pull out a ring and we'll say what? As a pledge and in token of my commitment to you with this ring, I thee wed. What are we saying there? What we're saying is, with this ring, I'm going to give you this ring as a token, as a reminder, as a sign that all of my life is committed to you. I'm pledging to you. I'm giving you a warranty that how I act in every area of my life, all of my resources, all of my finances are yours. But I'll tell you what, because I'm going to act like a jack wagon every once in a while, I'm going to give you this ring so that you'll remember my promises. You'll remember that I love you with all of my life. Well, that's what Jacob was doing. Lord, look at all of my life belongs to you. All of my life that I have, all of my resources, all of my finances that you've given to me, I acknowledge is yours. But as a pledge and in token of what you've given to me, I will give to you as a symbol of my commitment that I want to honor you with all of my life. So that's what's happening. That's principle number two of the Old Testament, okay? And then we move into the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law, we see this happen with the nation of Israel. Moses comes on the scene, and basically, there are two passages that we have in the Old Testament. One's in Leviticus 27, one's in Deuteronomy 14. The first one in Leviticus 27, it says this, all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. So all the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it's the Lord's. Everything's the Lord's. And all the tithe, and again, tithe means one-tenth. All the tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Okay? And so what we're seeing in Leviticus right here is what we're supposed to tithe, what they were supposed to tithe. They're supposed to tithe what? Everything that's alive, basically, belongs to the Lord. It comes as a result of the Lord's good favor in their life. And so, if you got an orchard... If it's in the field, you get a tenth of it. You get, if there's grain, you get a tenth of it. If there's an animal, you literally get one out of every ten. Okay? And so what we're being taught in Leviticus is what we're supposed to do. Okay? What, you know, what amount, basically. And then in Deuteronomy, we see this happening. In Deuteronomy, we see, man, I'm flying through this. We see, we see for what purpose, and we see how they're supposed to do it. Okay, and now this section is a long scripture. Both of these, I want you to be able to go and read. I'm going to post these online, all these scriptures in the Old Testament. Basically, we see them making provisions for people who have thousands of livestock. What am I supposed to go? Take that to Jerusalem? Thousands of my life. I'm so rich. I got so much, God. It's like I can't give you a tenth. Heard that before? If I gave God a tenth, it'd be like hundreds of thousands of dollars because I got so much wealth. Oh, Rich person problem. But anyway, God saw that coming, right? And so he, as he was blessing the nation of Israel, the flocks grew and the trees grew. He said, I'll tell you what, this is an example of one of the provisions. He says, sell what you would have given, take the money, 
go to Jerusalem, spend the money, and it's, this is amazing what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, spend the money on what your heart desires. Crazy. And it lists wine and strong drink as two of the possibilities. God's like, take the money, go have a party and celebrate my goodness, celebrate my beauty, celebrate my glory. That's what God's saying. So that's the principle of the time. So we, we see out of these two sections, basically, that there's this regular trip that they're supposed to do, that tithing and giving is something we do on a regular basis. We see that the purpose of tithing is to learn to fear the Lord. That's one of the principles that comes into it. He says tithing was a means of remembering how dependent we are on God and that we should fear him, not because of what he, he won't give us, but because of all that he does give us. And we should look to him for those things. The third provision was what I just said. If you have too much, what do I do? The fourth provision was also a sense that, um, that the, the, the tithe was to support God's Levitical order. The tithe was meant, there were 12 tribes. One of them were priests and the priests. They were called the Levites and they took care of the temples. So they're like, the professional church workers, okay? And they, didn't, they weren't part of the other tribes. So the other 11 tribes would support them. And God said, so give towards the, the temple and the tabernacle and the people who run it. That was one of the things. And the fifth one was that every three years, they would do a special offering. And the special offering, this is all in Deuteronomy, would take care of the poor, the, 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 the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, okay? And that was done every three years. And then... The last thing that they talked about in this little section was a promise of blessing on the people as they were faithful to act. That as we, as they acted, if, if God says, if you tithe, if you give this, I'm going to take care of you. Okay? You guys got that? You, I said it's going to be a test. I'm going to call you out right now. Rachel, don't call. Who knows one of the principles in the youth? Give me one principle that they taught of tithing in the Old Testament. Come on, John T. One. Were you not listening? I'm sweating. What's one principle we learn from tithing in the Old Testament? Just scream it out. Tithe 10%. Tithe is 20%. What else? What else? Anybody? For the love of St. Christopher. It's to cause you to fear the Lord. Anyone else? It's a response to what God is that it doesn't move God. Nick, what else? God will be faithful if you tithe. Okay, so there's just a few. Okay, let's move to the New Testament. Gosh. Smelly. Dude. See, obviously, he's, Sean is much better than I am at teaching the youth. Okay. There's two more passages in the Old Testament. They both point to the importance of the tithe going to the Levitical order, going to the church, okay? But not exclusively. And this is Old Testament, okay? And so, again, God's after your heart. We're not going to start teaching that all your tithe needs to come here. We're not doing that because that's not biblical, I don't think. Anyway, all right? So, those are the principles. So, we move into the New Testament. And this is where it gets exciting. This is where I get excited. Because we ask the question, yo, yo, Jesus, why aren't you telling me about the tithe? The two times that Jesus talks about the tithe, you know what he's saying? He's saying, he says this to him. He's like, look, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you tithe, thank you, you tithe on your little herbs, 10%, the dill, the cumin, 
You've neglected the weightier matters. It's like you're, you're, getting, you're majoring on the minor issues. What are you thinking? You neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you, have ought, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, and then he says the, next, the only other place that Jesus talks about, specifically about tithing, he talks about giving a lot of places. He says this. He says, oh, it's, he gives the parable. And the parable is of the guy who's, and he says, oh, I'm glad I'm not like those other sinners who do this and who do that and don't do this and don't do that. He, and then, then he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And Jesus referring to it as a bad thing because it's a heart issue and the guy's heart is off. And so we see in the New Testament, Jesus not neglecting the tithe, but saying what I'm really interested in is the heart. And what do we know about giving? Is you can give tons of money, but if your heart isn't where and aligned with God, if, it, if it's not desiring to serve God with all, of you, all that you have, then you're gonna miss the mark that God has for you and that he desires for you. Again, God's not after our money. I say this every time I speak about giving. He's after our heart. He wants our life. He wants all of our life, every bit of our life. It's not about a percentage. And so one, so let's go back to the question. So why does, why does it, he talk more about the tithe? Is it because we're not under the law anymore? Is that the only reason? No, I think there's more. Paul, who wrote a chunk of the New Testament, doesn't ever talk about the tithe at all. Doesn't mention it. He says this, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, about on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper. He talks about saving. He talks about in 2 Corinthians 8, 3. They gave according to their means and beyond their means, in their own accord. They gave in a way that demonstrated that God had to show up. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's reemphasizing that giving should be joyful, it should be cheerful, it shouldn't be compulsory, something that you feel like, oh, I gotta give. All right, God didn't need that. Okay, and the other thing, the last thing that Paul talks about, he says, God is able to provide with, for you every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide an abundance for every good work. Okay, again, it goes back to the Old Testament principle of God's taking care of us. When we give, God takes care of us. Period, end of story. It's the way that it was back in the day of Jacob. It's the way that it was back in the day of Abraham. And it's the way it is today. And Paul's making this point. And so when it comes to, the only other places in Hebrews where they talk about the tithe, and basically they're saying Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. That's all, okay? So just trust me on that, all right? But in regard to the New Testament, very little Really nothing is positively said about the tithe, okay? Nothing. But why is that? Well, we're not under the law anymore, so I've got to get jacked to Jesus. I'm under grace. I, because of his grace and his mercy and his love, he's going to love me no matter what, no matter what I give. So I'm not under the law. It's not dependent on, right? Okay, so that's, how, you know, that's true. That's true. God's not going to love you more because you give more. That's a fact. Jacked. Now, they don't even know what I'm talking about. But what's the other reason? What's the other? I think there's a better reason. I think there's a real reason. You see, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel wasn't a missionary group of people. 
If the nation of Israel is reaching out to another nation in the Old Testament, it was because they were going to crush them. So come and come under. I want, I want you to know the goodness of our God. Squash! Now look at the power of the Lord Almighty. But the New Testament, we're given the Great Commission. All of a sudden, God's people are called to go beyond themselves to all the world, to all the nations, to all the people. And I think the reason the tithe isn't mentioned is because it's not enough to do the work that God's called us to do. It's not enough to reach all the people in the world. It's not enough to reach all the nations of the world. And the expectation of Jesus is this. If I expected 10% of my children in the nation of Israel to give who did not know me, certainly I can expect more from you who know me very intimately through the power of my spirit. The task that God has given us is so immense, so great, so far out there that for us to accomplish it, the tithe is almost the minimum we should be considering when we give. Last night we watched this movie called The Book Thief. I'm going to ruin it for you today, so don't get your hopes up that I'm going to not. I'm going to ruin it. This is a great book and a great movie. I'll never read the book, but I saw the movie. And in this movie... What happens is this. It's around World War, the World War, the one with Germany. <laughs> and they... <laughs> I, I didn't think I had to... Def- I didn't think I had to, I had to know the answer to that. <laughs> I'm going to go with one. And Germany... Is crushing everyone, and his family hides a Jewish boy named Max. And in order, because they're poor, but in order to love him, to, in order to take care of him, in order to feed him, they have to go from three meals a day to two. They have to sacrifice. In order for them to extend life beyond their immediate family, they had to make sacrifices. They would not have been able to do it. They didn't have enough food. Their giving challenged their comfort. Their giving challenged their lifestyle. All I'm saying today is this. If we are living in the New Testament and we are desiring to reach the people that God has called us to that, is, that are outside of our family, it will require us to adjust our life. It will require us to make sacrifices. John Piper says this. My own conviction is that most middle and upper class Americans who merely tithe are robbing God. In a world where there are 20,864 people a day who starve to death, over 7.6 million a year, and many more than that are perishing in unbelief, the question is not, what percentage must I give? But how dare, how much dare I spend on myself? It is irrational to think that giving 10% of the money that we have to the church settles our issue and makes us good stewards. In a world with such immense need and a country of such immense luxury, the issue of stewardship is, stewardship is not shall I tithe, 
not how much shall I give, but how much of God's money that he has given to me that belongs to him dare I spend on myself. It's funny, we hear the lack of the tithe being talked about in the New Testament. What's our response? Most of us are like, see, I'm not under, I don't got a tithe. So I get 2%, 2.5, maybe three, maybe four. We look at it as an opportunity to give less. When actually what Jesus has done is set up this system where the expectation is we would give more. That the bar is not, oh, I can give below 10%. It's like 10% becomes the least amount that we should be trying to give. Here are a few things they talk about percentage-wise with giving in the New Testament. He who has two coats, this is Jesus, let him share with him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. That's 50%. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. Again, that's 50%. Jesus said to the rich young man, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you would have a treasure in heaven and come and follow me. High schoolers, what percentage is that? 100%. Good job. All y'all. Collective answer there. I loved it. So there, whoever, therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What percentage is that? 100 all, of, all who believe were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as they had any need. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of liberty on their part. For they gave according to their means but they also gave beyond their means. Disciples in the New Testament are freaking radical givers. They are marked in a world of selfishness, of comfort, of self-focus, as people that are crazy with the way that they give. They don't give just out of what they have. They give more than they have, knowing that God will show up knowing and expecting that they want to live in a way that is different from everyone else. Because in order to reach the lost, in order to reach the world, they know we have to do this. If we're serious about following Jesus, we have to do this. That the Great Commission at River City Church and our families and the life of our children will not be accomplished, will not be relevant if we do not give beyond In the book, one of the cool things that happens at the front end is she wants to turn them in. The mom wants to turn them in because of the risk that's involved, right? And then they nurse him back to health and they get sick and he almost dies. He gets really close to dying. I know, he doesn't die. So if you, if you haven't seen it, just know he's not gonna die. I just ruined it, okay? And they nurse him back to health the last time, right? And then they go and then he knows that he has to leave. And so as he's leaving, the mother who wanted to turn him in earlier gives them this fine block of cheese that they had, like the cream of what they had, like the best gift. She gives them blankets and socks and a suitcase. Why would she do that? Her heart was changed. Why did her heart change? She suffered for him. She sacrificed for him. He became a part of the family. 
If we want to love the world the way that Christ loves us, if we want to love the world, it doesn't happen. It doesn't start with love. It starts with sacrifice. It starts with giving in a way that causes us to adjust our life. As our life adjusts, people come and be a part of our family. We love them more, and it's no longer a sacrifice. At one point in the movie, the girl says, well, that's just what people do. That's just what people do. We make sacrifices that are necessary. That's just what we do. But is it? River City? Is it just what we do? It's one of the reasons it's so important that we're not unequally yoked with people who are not like us, who aren't believers. Why? Because this will be a battle you will not win. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. It's hard enough when we are yoked with people who are like us. Okay, so the practical. Laura and I were talking about this. It, it, I mean, I, I wish, I, I mean... This is so hard. This is so hard for me. I got savings. I have four kids that I provided education for. I have money in the bank. I mean, what does this look like for us? What does this look like if we're in debt? What, if this looks, I mean, does this, what does this mean, practically speaking? I don't know. I, I don't, there's not a formula, though. But it's asking the Lord. It's me having the conversation last night. Lord, if you asked me to go from three meals to two, would I? Lord, if you asked me to cancel, give away one of the college funds I have saved up, would I? Lord, if you asked me to not go out this month to dinner, would I? If you asked me to not drink fancy beer or expensive wine, would I even consider that? My problem is I don't even ask him to ask me, if I'm honest. Are we even asking God to ask us to sacrifice? Or are we just checking off the giving box and moving through life, living comfortably like the rest of the world? I don't want you to feel motivated by guilt, shame, or anything else. I want you to be motivated by love a desire to serve God with all of our life, knowing that all that he has given us belongs to him. All that we are belongs to him. And that the 10% or the 15% or the 20% or the 50% that some of us could give and not ever change the way that we live is a poor token, is a poor pledge to a father who's given us everything. I'm just asking that we would ask the question, Lord, what is it? What is it you'd like? Ask me, Lord, what is it? Ask me. When the father asked Jesus for everything, Jesus said, not my will, father, but yours be done. In order for us to be who we are, to have all that we have, it required Jesus to give the father his very life. As we celebrate this last week up into Easter, I thought, what an opportunity we have. If it's true that Jesus doesn't seek what we have, that he's really after us, what would it look like this week for us, for us to offer him all that we are, to get all that he has to offer? What if just this one week before Easter, we said, Lord, I believe it's all yours. I believe you've given it all to get me. And now all that I have 
belongs to you. What is it you'd like for me to give? Let's stand. Now, obviously, like I said, there's no formula in this. This is an opportunity for us. Actually, sit down. Forgot. I know. We're going to have an opportunity for you to give. We have the offering at the end of the service a few times a year for our response to God to be that of giving. Giving in the New Testament is talked about as an act of worship. We'd love for you to pledge as a token, as a sign that everything that you have belongs to God and you're going to trust him to provide for you. So we have pledge cards in the seat. If you haven't pledged and you're part of our family, we'd love for you to pledge. We'd also love for you to give if you haven't been giving. And I don't know what that looks like. If you're in debt right now, bring a bag lunch for a week. And whatever the difference of what you would spend at lunch is, start giving that to the church. That's a practical thing you can do. What are the luxuries you have in your life? What are the little things? If you're in debt, there are little things that you can give up that reflect a heart that says, I want to sacrifice for your kingdom. But all of us right now, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and we're going to wait and we're going to listen. And if you already give, I'm going to ask that the Spirit would speak to you about giving what he wants you to give. It might be more. It might not be more. It might be well done, good and faithful servant. But it might be what you, what you hear. Now don't go into the prayer like, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. <laughs> if you're a middle school or a high school or a college, stu- college student, you've probably never given on a regular basis because you've never had regular income. What a great opportunity for you to set in stone now how you want to give and live for the rest of your life. That for the rest of your life, you're going to make a decision today, Lord, what is it you'd like for me to be known for? That I can bring glory to your kingdom. I don't want to live off 90%. I want to live off 20%. Whatever you give, Lord, you're, you're, you're set up. You're in your parents' house right now. You could probably do 100. But why not? Middle schools and high schoolers set a standard that challenges your parents. Set a standard that, that challenges what the generation of our church will look like as we move forward. Then we're not trying to get people to give 10%. We're trying to get people to 50, 60, 70, 80. Because we have so much wealth, we don't know what to do with it. But we're all in different places. Let's expect more of God right now, that he would speak to us. Let's stop just checking boxes or feeling oppressed by 10%, but live in a way that shows the world that God is real. We'll have some, the worship team is going to come and play music, and then we'll respond in offering and worship. Father, come now through the power of your spirit. Speak to us. Open our hearts. We want to live and give in a way that reflects your beauty, your power, and your glory to the world. We pray that you would show us what that looks like for each of us individually, and we would no longer look at what other people are giving as the example, but we would look at the example of Jesus Christ, that he has given everything, and that he wants all of who we are Come, Holy Spirit, help us to find freedom in this area and that we would give him all of who we are right now as we consider financially what you're calling us to give. In your name we pray, amen.